So this past week, whoever it was, maybe in your family, somebody at the gathering that you were at, if you did, in fact, get together and, and have a meal with, with others, the person in your family who usually gets all the credit for that is maybe the one who has slaved over the stove all day, maybe the day before, who made the meal, who put all the work and time and effort and energy into it. Maybe the person who doesn't get as much credit is the one who I appreciate more, the one who actually does the dishes. The one who takes responsibility for basically cleaning up after the person who is the one who cooked the meal. Maybe you're that same person. Maybe you're the same one who did the dishes and also cooked. In our family, it's a little bit different. Typically for Thanksgiving, I kind of take over control of the kitchen and I do all the cooking, most of the cooking. Sherilyn, on the other hand, does the harder job of cleaning up after me. And this past year, I took one of our brand new spotless stainless steel pans and I sullied it, I dirtied it, it was just a black stuck on mess. And I handed it to her and I said, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and she had to do the hard work of scrubbing and scrubbing. And I don't know how much elbow grease she has left, but she put it all into that pan. And at the end of it, there was still some stuck on stain there. There was still some stubborn black particles of turkey that were just burned into that pan. And I don't think we're ever getting it out. And if you know anything about Sherilyn, it really bothers her. Even probably today, I'm sure she woke up and she was thinking about that pan. Like, I, I, could, I could have done more. Whenever we think about something that's stubborn, that just doesn't want to move, it's frustrating. It's frustrating dealing with things that are stubborn. It's the, it's the same reaction we get in our house when I get handed the pickle jar and I'm the one who has to open it. It's the same reaction I have every time when I'm there, I've got the screwdriver ready to go and the screw that I'm trying to deal with is stripped out. And I can't do anything with it because it's stubborn and it's stuck. It's frustrating when we deal with things that are stubborn. But it's even more frustrating when we deal with people that are stubborn. And sometimes, and I'm sure you're doing it now, as you're starting to think about people you know who are stubborn, you might be thinking across the aisle, maybe somebody on the pew next to you, maybe somebody you know who you've experienced in your life. Ryan's doing it right now, I know he is. Thinking about somebody who's stubborn. Stubborn people don't like to think about themselves as being stubborn, though. That is, by definition, one of the things that stubbornness keeps us from seeing is the fallibility in ourselves. It's hard to think about yourself as being stubborn. And I think we need to understand that, yes, there are people in our lives who might be stubborn, there are more than likely people that you know who are stubborn. Have you ever been stubborn? Have you ever been the kind of person who just would not budge? Like that black stain on the pan, no matter what, you ain't moving. And I'm sure some of us are right now thinking, well, Brian, there's some value in not moving, right? 
There sure are. There sure is. But are you willing to move on the things that you need to be willing to move on? And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about rising above the attitude of stubbornness because the Bible doesn't have a lot of great things to say about stubborn people. Sure, we need to be faithful, as we talked about in our first lesson. We need to stand with those who stood for the Lord. We need to absolutely be that way in our lives. Have faith, be immovable, be rocks, firmly anchored on the Lord, building on Christ's firm foundation, absolutely. But there's another way of being firm that isn't a good thing, that isn't good for us. It's, it's a hard-hearted way of living. It's not being sensitive to change, not being willing to, to look at ourselves as maybe having made the wrong choice. And maybe people are working on you. Maybe people are encouraging you to reconsider your life. Are you willing to do that? Because I'll tell you, I mean, you know, if, if this past couple of years has really opened my eyes to anything, it's just how stubborn people are. They are. And we're politically divided. We're divided on all kinds of issues, this issue and that issue. We're divided on what TV shows we want to watch, what news stations we want to watch. We're divided on so many things. And, and we just become entrenched in those things. We become so firmly just stubborn and unwilling to move, unwilling to think about another way of thinking. And I think we need to be very careful about that, especially when it comes to God's word, especially when it comes to to what God wants from us, how God wants us to pattern our lives. And so as we think about rising above stubbornness, let's just consider this word here for a second. The Greek word sklernomai is really this word that's often translated as stubborn or hard, hardened, a character you might think about in the Bible about whose heart was hard. You might think of Pharaoh. Pharaoh's heart was hard. He, he was not convinced. He did not want to let those people go. He was just going to sit there and stubbornly refuse over and over and over again. That is what the word is all about. It's refusing to listen, refusing to reconsider, refusing to change your mind. And maybe you've been there. I know I've been there, especially as I was younger. I know there were moments in my, in my youth when I was younger where it really was hard for me to change my mind. It really was kind of difficult for me to think about things in a way that I'd never thought about them before. We get entrenched, entrenched in our traditions, so to speak. And a good verse, I think, to illustrate this point is Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. This is Paul really referring to people who, well, they're pretty hard-hearted. They're pretty stubborn in the way that they look at other people, in the way that they deal with other people. Verse 1 of Romans 2 says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourselves on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment 
will be revealed. Notice what what Paul is talking about, what he's saying to these hard-hearted people. You know the right thing to do. And you look around at everyone else, and you say, well, you're not doing the right thing, and you judge them and you condemn them. What Paul is saying is, you're doing the very same things yourselves. Sounds a lot like the Pharisees. You can see why Jesus had so many negative things to say about the Pharisees, because they were practicing the very same things that they were condemning. They certainly were, were telling people to do as I say, not as I do. And that's what Paul's condemning here. The hardness of hearts that, that causes us to look around, judge other people for their sins, unwilling to look internally at mine. And that's a hard thing to deal with. It's a hard thing to chip away at that stony exterior of our own hearts to get down to it to where it's soft, to where it's pliable, to where it's moldable again. Because the hardness of our hearts just wants us to entrench. It wants us to to feel like we're right and everyone else around us is wrong. To be stubborn is not a good thing, as Paul's painting this picture here. Being stubborn is not helpful, it's not good, it's not right. What is the alternative? Is there a better way? Is there a better way to live? Because as we, as we read in our scripture reading from Acts chapter 7, remember when Stephen basically turned to the people and said, you stiff-necked, uncircumcised of heart and ears, what did they do right after that? They killed him. Stiff-necked, stubborn people don't like to be called stiff-necked and stubborn. So as we start thinking about a better way, how can, I, how can I strip away that defensive wall and become soft and moldable again? And this is what the whole lesson is really all about. So here it is. The word proutes. I love this word so, so much. Proutes is the word meekness, often translated as meekness. Meekness, as we're going to talk about, is a very misunderstood word, I think. Meekness is probably one of the most misunderstood words and one of the words we need to understand the most, especially in dealing with this hard-hearted attitude of stubbornness. Meekness, this word proutes in the Greek, is also sometimes translated as gentleness, courtesy, or humility in other places. In the Septuagint, in Zechariah, it's translated there as humility interesting word. It has a lot of different meanings. And and looking at all the context, looking at at all the references to this word, proutes, you start to see something that is moldable, is sensitive, and is humble. Let's look at James chapter 3. I think James 3 is a good place to go in in talking about this word because it's used there twice. James 3 verse 13. James says, who is wise and understanding among you, but by his good conduct, Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So meekness and wisdom are tied very closely together right there. There, It's also directly connected with our works. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy, so this is kind of coming to the opposite side of it. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, There will be disorder in every vile practice, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, 
gentle, there's that word again, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Notice here that he's talking about this meekness of wisdom. There is something very strong and powerful in being a meek person, in being a person with proutes, being a person who understands that you might be wrong about something, that there's something you need to learn. There is some way that you need to, to have your understanding corrected and to be moldable into the Lord's image, to be shaped, to be the kind of person, as he goes on later to talk about there, that wisdom causes them to be gentle, meek there, open to reason, full of mercy. On one hand, you have a stubborn person who, is, who hates being called stubborn. They, they, they don't want to change. On the other hand, you have a meek person who's soft, who's moldable, whose heart is always being instructed by the Lord. And if you want to combat the attitude of stubbornness, you have to be meek, the way that the Bible talks about meekness. I want to spend the rest of the lesson really talking about meekness and why meekness is such an important characteristic for the believer in Jesus Christ. How meekness really gets right to the heart of being a stubborn, self-willed kind of person who just is going to, is going to do everything the way I want to do it and I'm not listening to anybody else. Meekness is the antidote for that. Meekness is the attitude that we all need to have. Why? Well, because, of course, Jesus had it, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. One thing I think we need to understand, though, in, in getting to this comparison, I think sometimes we view stubbornness as strength. You ever view stubbornness as strength? Like a leader who's going to be strong, He's going he's gonna to be the dictator. He's going to tell everyone what to do. He's going to crack the whip. Is that, is that how you want a leader to be? You want a leader to be the kind of person who's just stubborn, unwilling to listen, unwilling to change? Can you imagine, in the history of the children of Israel, all the times they had to watch their king make a terrible decision in offering sacrifices to, to idols and promoting pagan worship. Can you imagine some righteous people in the congregation of the children of Israel just watching their leaders and their stubborn unwillingness? Can't you imagine them just sitting there thinking like, if only our leaders would be open to, to hearing the word of the Lord rather than coming up with the, the, the way that they're going to do things on their own. That's why I think we, we sometimes view stubbornness as strength, but it is absolutely not. Stubbornness is not the same thing as being strong. Just like on the other side of it, meekness is not weakness. You use the word, or you talk about the word meekness, and I, maybe you've already started thinking this. You kind of start viewing yourself as a doormat. Like, people are just going to walk over you, right? You're just going to be the kind of person who people take advantage of. You're going to be the, the green, sort of mild-mannered, milk-toast person who nobody ever, who nobody ever takes seriously. Because you're meek, you're quiet, you would never stand up, you'd never hurt a fly. That's not what meekness is. I want you to understand, I need you to understand that as part of this lesson. Meekness is not being mild-mannered and quiet and, and being mousy, if you know what I'm talking about there. Actually, originally in the Greek, 
That word meekness was used to talk about trained war horses. Think about that. What can be stronger than a war horse, right? I don't know a lot about horses, so I'm, I'm speaking out of my depth here. Maybe some people can, can educate me after the fact. But I, I'm pretty certain that some horses are naturally inclined to run away from danger. Like a loud sound happens, some big bang or boom happens, and they're gone. Like, they don't want any part of that. And then you have some horses that are so wild and out of control that there's no way you can touch them with a 10-foot pole. And on the two opposite ends of that, kind of balanced right in between, is this idea of a war horse who will get out there in battle, swords flying around, just the battle raging on in front of them. And rather than running from the danger, they listen to the rider that's on their back, and they follow his lead. They do what he says. No matter what the danger that comes at them, they are meek. They're meek. They're moldable. They've listened to their master. Can you see where if they in the Greek would use this word to describe war horses, can you, can you see why I say that it's not weakness? It's absolutely not weakness. Think about it as strength under control. Think about it when we sing that song, he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world. But he didn't do that, did he? Jesus had so much power, had all the power, and yet he restrained himself. He was under control. And he didn't use that power to lash back or to to strike back at anyone. He was meek. He was in control. He was moldable. So meekness isn't weakness, and stubbornness is not strength. We need to understand how powerful we are when we do adopt a heart of meekness. And one of the great examples that we can go to about meekness is Moses, who in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. We've all heard that verse before, probably, right? We could all probably check off that box in a Bible trivia contest. Who was the meekest person on the face of the earth? Save Jesus himself. Oh, that was Moses. But do you remember the context of that story? You know why the Bible says that Moses was the meekest person on the face of the earth? Numbers 12, verse 1, Aaron and Miriam basically get up in Moses' face. And they say, you know, you married a Cushite woman, and we don't like that. We have some things against, we got beef with you, we might say today. We have beef with you. And so they got in Moses' face. And they said, you know, we think we could do a better job being a prophet than you can. And then it says, the Lord heard this. Now Moses was the meekest person on the face of the earth. And then the Lord steps in. The Lord steps in and says, Moses, Aaron, Miriam, meet me at my tent. So they go out there to the tent, and he descends in a cloud and lays into Aaron and Miriam and says, you don't even know what you're talking about. He struck Miriam with leprosy. And she, for seven days, had to stay outside the camp. Notice who did not respond in that case. Notice who did not defend himself in that case. Who was it that stayed quiet? Who was it that stayed in control? Who had strength in restraint? It was Moses. And the reason why that verse is in the Bible 
is to show that Moses could have lashed out, but he didn't. He was quiet. And he let God do the talking for him. He let God correct their misunderstanding. We talk about meekness. We're not talking about running out there and just laying down in front of everyone. We're letting God take care of what's true and what's right. We're letting him take care of justice. We're letting him redeem us, really. Re letting him take control. Rolling our problems to him. Knowing that, you know, I'm really bad at taking care of situations myself. And you know who's really good at taking care of situations? The Lord my God. He's the one who can take care of it. And that's where you also get to Jesus. Of course, Jesus, as he would say in Matthew 11, verse 29 through 30, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. There, that word proutes, gentle, meek, and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We come to Jesus as the great, meek, and lowly one whose burden is light, knowing that he can take care of us, knowing that he cares about us, knowing that he's not a, 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 a commanding dictator who doesn't care at all for us, he loves us. He's in control. He's taking care of everything. Why is he meek? Why is it refer to him as gentle there? Well, Jesus, as you all know, followed the will of his father perfectly. He was obedient to the will of his father. He wasn't out there promoting his own agenda. He wasn't out there doing the things that made him comfortable. He was listening to God. And as meek people in this earth, that's what we do. We listen to God. The meekness of wisdom that we talked about from James. That, that decision to, to mold your heart to his image and his will. Let's talk about choosing meekness. Here's three things that you can do to choose meekness. Because meekness, as I hope you're seeing as part of this lesson, meekness is not just something you slip into in your life and, whoops, I'm meek today. What happened? Like, meekness is a decision you make. It's something that you have to purposefully choose to do. And, of course, one of the first things that we need to understand is that we need to stay moldable when we get into God's Word. Every time we approach God's Word, we need to let God train us. How can you melt away a stubborn heart? How can you chip away at the callus of, of hardness and stubbornness? Well, it's to stay moldable every time we get into God's word. James chapter 1, verse 19, James says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Use that verse right there as we were just talking about Moses. Meek. He's, he's talking about meekness without talking about meekness. Let's continue. Verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Every time we read this book, every time we read about Jesus, every time we read about how he lived his life, the way he responded to people, the way he followed and obeyed the will of his Father, every time we read about the instruction that his apostles have left for us in the church every time we get into the word. Let it mold you. Let it change you. Let it cause you to really sit there and ask yourself, is there something I'm not seeing right now? Is there something I need to do better about? And, and let it, with meekness, take over and, 
and drive the direction of your soul. Be moldable, be trainable, be that war horse who says, wherever you want to go, Lord, I'm willing to go there with you. And do that every time you get into the word. But not only when we approach God's word, just a general thing that we all need to be doing is being kind and considerate and courteous and patient toward one another. We already read the verse there in James chapter 3, but we, we talk about the wisdom that's from above being first pure and peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. We see how, how valuable meekness is in our relationships and how we can put it into practice. Philippians chapter 2, Paul talks about that there as well, how we need to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit in verse 3, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look out to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus. We need to put on the mind of Christ in how we treat other people around us, how we love them, how in humility we, we value them more than we value ourselves. Man, it is so easy to just tear people down and mow people over in anger and frustration because you're right, I'm right. And so that gives me the right sometimes in my mind to just mow people down and say whatever I want to say, whether they be people in the world, whether they be people in my own family. In anger, we, we, we justify ourselves by our rightness then giving us the, the, the reins to treat people however we want. But when we have meekness, when we follow the Lord, when we are gentle and humble and moldable like, like Jesus is, we see the value in people. We see how I'm not, I'm not ever authorized to, to, to lash out in anger at people. I'm not ever authorized to, to devalue someone's soul because Jesus died for their soul courteous, kind, loving. This is, again, this isn't weakness. This isn't some milquetoast, mild-mannered thing. This takes intentional effort to really sincerely, genuinely show someone kindness who has slapped you in the face. <laughs> that is strength under control is what it is. That is Jesus responding in love, understanding forgiveness as he hung there on the cross. How could he do that? It was meekness that helped him do that, that led him to do that. And that shows in the way that we treat other people. If you ever find yourself lashing out at your family in anger, I think maybe there's a meekness problem. I think maybe there's a little bit too much stubbornness in your heart. Think maybe the hardness of, of how you want to live and how you want to be right has taken over. It's time to start chipping away at that before it creates in you a callus. A callus that makes you unfeeling, unloving, and uncaring. Maybe a third thing we can do. Don't kick against God's direction. I love this point. You think about this in terms of a horse. Again, we've all established that I really have no idea what I'm talking about with horses. However, you know, if I, if I was on a horse, maybe someday, if I was on a horse and I told the horse or indicated to the horse and turned the horse turn signal on to go left, 
you know, what, I, I don't, I'm pretty sure that's not how it works, but if I said I wanted to go left and the horse decided it's going to go right, well, what am I going to do about that? Well, I'm going to give the horse some correction. I'm going to tell the horse, no, that's not what I wanted, and I'm going to get him to go the other way, hopefully. Well, God gives us correction. God gives us correction, and it is God who we aim to please. Notice there in Philippians chapter 2, we were just there. Philippians 2 verse 13, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's not about where I want to go. Gary's prayer at the beginning of, our, of, of, our, of this segment of our service, Gary's prayer was so helpful, for me at least, in, in determining how it's not about where I want to go. It's not about me. This isn't about my direction in life. It's about God's direction. It's about pleasing him, doing what's pleasing to him. And that should be, a, that should be our main motivation in life. But then you think about people like Saul before he became the Apostle Paul. He was on the road to Damascus kicking against the goads, as Jesus told him from the, from the great vision as he was blinded. You're kicking against the goads, and, and all that tells me is sort of that horse angle again. He's prodding me to go that way, and all I want to do is go that way. And he keeps correcting me and correcting me, and it can be a real pain in the backside when we, when we refuse to listen to the Lord, and he keeps correcting us, and he keeps correcting us. Someday are we going to listen? Are we going to listen to his direction? And I know there are so many people that we know in our lives that, that are so close to us who've left the Lord, and this continual correction, hopefully, will bring them back someday. But there will be people whose stubbornness, whose stiff-necked, hard hearts will never lead them back. And we need to be very careful about becoming those kinds of people ourselves making sure that God's will, God's direction is always in mind. So that's meekness. And let's just close this thing off by talking about five things that we can do. Five things that, five practical things that we can do in our lives throughout this upcoming week to really just put meekness at the forefront of our minds, to put meekness, soft-heartedness, gentleness, and humility in mind as we live this week. Maybe one of the first things we can do is meditate on passages like well, the great Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12. You know what Jesus had to say about meekness there. Blessed are the meek for what? They shall inherit the earth. Notice that whole beatitude section there as Jesus is talking about it has something to do with, with an otherworldly perspective on life. And that's really what meekness is. Viewing our lives, living in this world in just such a slightly different way than how our normal, natural man wants to live. Psalm 37, verses 1 to 11, would be a great passage to read. Psalm 37, 1 to 11, I think, is where Jesus got, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And that really is, in, in verse 9 and in verse 11, is almost a direct quote out of that psalm. And you can go there and you can see how the meek, they don't get frustrated, and they don't fret over evil people doing evil things around them and all of their evil scheming. It really helps, I think, us in 21st century America zoom out and say, you know, I'm going to let God take care of this stuff. I'm going to stop being so worried about the world around me 
so worried about the pandemic, so worried about everybody's political opinions, I'm just going to live for you. Go read Psalm 37 if you want a, a fresh perspective on living with meekness in life. And then Colossians 3, verses 12 to 15 is a great place to go when Paul talks about the new man putting on the new self and, and the unity and harmony, the peace we can all have if we choose attitudes and, and activities like meekness and gentleness and humility and the way that that just fosters growth within the body of Christ. So a few things to read. Maybe this week we can ask ourselves an introspective, reflective kind of question. Maybe you can ask yourself this week, is there an area of my life where I'm fighting God rather than yielding? Is there an area of my life where I'm so stubborn and so unwilling to change that, that, that I just haven't given that over to the Lord? I mean, I don't think stubbornness is a binary thing either. I don't think you're always stubborn or always meek. I think there's a, a, a gradation there where you can be stubborn in some ways and in other ways you can be following the Lord the way that you should. I think Jesus even points that out as he's talking about those who were tithing mint and dill and cumin, but they'd forgotten the weightier matters of the law. He's saying, good job for doing the things you should be doing, but you missed something. And I think sometimes in our own hearts, in our own lives, we can miss something. So maybe just ask yourself that question. Is there something that I'm missing? Maybe we can pray to the Lord this week. Give me a heart of meekness as I receive your implanted word, shape my life. That comes from James 1, verse 21. Ask the Lord to help you in this. You don't have to be alone in following the Lord and being a meek and soft-hearted person. And as you pray, pray before you study. I think it's a great thing we can all do. Before you study, pray to the Lord to help you have that kind of meekness to let his word shape your heart. Here's something that you can actually do. I know this is kind of basic and super practical, but like, if you ever write stuff on post-it notes, write the verse. Blessed are the meek. Stick it on your mirror. Just remember that verse throughout the week. Remember that when, it, when we are meek, when we choose to submit our will to the Lord's, when we choose to be strong but in control, if, if you want to think of yourself as a war horse for the Lord, please do this week. Think about that. Just Remember and roll that verse over in your mind. Blessed are the meek. Maybe that'll, maybe that'll soften you in some way. Finally, maybe there's a, a conversation we can have in the lobby with each other. Maybe there's a conversation we can have over coffee. Ask someone, where have you seen the beauty of meekness in others? Have there, have there been people in your life who showed you meekness? And how have they, how have they impacted you? How have they changed your life? Meekness is so important. And if you've ever thought about meekness as just kind of a, a milquetoast, mild-mannered, kind of getting, getting walked on, getting stepped on all the time, I hope this lesson has changed you, has changed that perspective that maybe you had. And I hope we can all see how stubbornness really is no way to live. Couple this with Greg's lesson this morning about being firm in the faith. Firm and strong in the Lord. Yes, absolutely. When the Lord says go, we go. When the Lord says don't go, we ain't going there. We're firm and strong in that. And I, and I will gladly be stubborn for the Lord. But for him, not for me. Because sometimes I get stubborn for me. And sometimes I let my desires, my will take over. And when he says that, go that way, I just, I want to go that way. And if you've ever found yourself there, 
I hope meekness is helpful for you. Please take out your songbooks. Turn to the number that's been announced. Appreciate your attention this morning. If you understand that you need to give your life to the Lord, maybe you haven't submitted to his will. Maybe you haven't laid down everything, as we talked about, in repentance. There from Romans chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, if you know what the right thing to do, the Lord is calling you to repent. The Lord is calling you to change. Not to become entrenched in the way that you want to live, but to repent and change. And if you're willing to do that this morning, we'll baptize you and help you start that journey with the Lord today. Whatever your needs are, please come as we stand and sing. Who will follow?